Hello, friends, and welcome to Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Jeremy, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening, or you just like to reach out, feel free to send an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and Chris would be glad to talk with you. This is our last week in the book of Colossians, where we're wrapping up a series about a big Jesus for life's big problems. We're finishing this series with a summary of how we should live kingdom style and the attitudes we should have. I'll go ahead and hand it over to our student minister, Nate Crevillian. Good morning. Welcome home to Capital City. It's good to be home with you guys. It's good to see you guys again. It's good to be here. But that guy's right. If you're throwing away pumpkin pie, we can't be friends. Right? Like there's this, I love pumpkin pie. There's nothing, nothing quite like it. My name is Nate Crevillian. I am the student pastor here at Capital City, and today we are concluding our series on Colossians. I'm really excited uh, just to wrap up this book today. It's, it's, a, it's a book that Paul wrote from prison to a newly planted church. So today we are going to cover a ton of scripture, uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 18. Uh, so think of this kind of as the Thanksgiving meal sermon. Just like the past few days, you know, you, you ate rolls and you ate stuffing and potatoes and, and turkey and maybe a little bit of ham and some macaroni and cheese and some apple cider and some apple pie and some ice cream and pumpkin pie. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We got, we got the same concept here. So, hey, get comfortable, get settled. We got about 45 minutes here to go through this stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Tommy. Appreciate that. So 45 minutes. So get comfortable, but don't get too comfortable. The idea is to fall asleep after the meal, right? Not during. You don't fall asleep. I'm just playing. I'm the student pastor here. If you guys really think I'm going 45 minutes, whoo! Got some questions about you guys. No, we'll be, we'll be about 30 minutes here. Um, so let's just talk about the guy who wrote this book real quick. Let's just take a deep dive in, into Paul. So Paul, he is writing this, and, and he is in jail as he's writing this. And sometimes when we look back on the founding fathers of our faith, we've placed the halo above their head. We kind of get this stained glass view of them and, and who they are and what they're like. So I just want to role play for you here real quick here. What Paul's interview would be like in a church today? Because I'm telling you, he couldn't get hired. So this is how it goes. You know, Paul walks in, sits down. Hey, how you doing? Ah, it's good to meet you too. Hey, so tell us about your kids. Ah, I don't have any kids. Uh, okay, tell us about your wife. I also don't have a wife. All right, do you have any uh, experience with church leadership? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, uh, I killed a deacon once. Oh, wow, okay. Well, um, all right. Uh, you know, anything you're really good at? Any kind of unique talents and abilities you got? Well, I, I, I'm, I have this kind of unique ability to start riots. And uh, sometimes I get beaten and thrown in prison because of that. Oh, all right. Well, thanks for your time, Paul. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, this, this guy's not going to get hired today. There's just no way. There's, there's no one who would hire him. I mean, let's be honest. Have any of you ever seen that as the job description for a pastoral search committee? <laughs> no. No, I can, I can tell you, it's not what mine was when I came here and I was interviewing. So here's the deal with Paul. If God can use Paul, God can use anybody. Anybody. See, Paul's life belongs to Jesus. And when he came to Jesus and surrendered, his life wasn't his own anymore. He got a fresh, clean start. Paul's life had a lot of really complex variables. And it just goes to show, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you've been through, or what you're in the middle of, 
When you belong to Jesus and you're devoted to Jesus, your mess becomes your message and your test becomes your testimony. Amen. So this last section of Colossians, kind of, it's sort of the grand finale of Paul's letter. And we learn in this section that, that really ministry is all about people. So let's jump into this, this first section. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. It says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, and be wise in the way that you interact towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity, and let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So in this section, I think we, four things really come out that, that Paul is calling us to do and to act, and we're calling this kind of section the, the four, four legs of a stable faith. So when life gets crazy, when life gets hard, when we are rocking back and forth, we have something like this chair, has four legs on it, to hold us stable. The first leg is this, it's, it's prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. All right, now, now some of you here this morning are not Jesus followers. You have any idea what it means to be in a relationship and to talk with him? Some of you ha have been Jesus followers for a while, but this whole prayer thing is still new to you. And some of you have, have been here for a long time, and you know what it really means to talk to the Lord in prayer. So let me just bottom line prayer for you. What is it really about? What does it really mean? It's simply, it's simply this. It's meeting with your dad. Prayer is just meeting with your dad. The, the, the key to prayer is getting to know God as Father. And that's what the disciples, when they were talking with Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How does that start? What does Jesus say? Our Father. Our Father. And if you have a Father who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-present, all-forgiving, all-merciful, His heart is inclined towards you, and He seeks only good for you, what are you going to talk to Him about? Everything. Everything. You're going to talk to Him about absolutely everything. Dad, I had a great day. Let me tell you about it. Dad, I did not have a good day. Let me tell you about it. Dad, I'm really confused. I don't know how this works. Dad, can you explain this to me? Like, what's going, what's going on here? Dad, I'm scared. I'm really scared. I don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't know what's going on. And I need you to go before me. I need you to go in front of me. And I need you to be with me. And if you have a loving, gracious, merciful, compassionate, present, devoted dad, you don't really have to focus on what to talk to him about or what to talk to him with. Like, you just kind of walk in and you start talking to him. How many of you are parents in the room and you have kids and, and your kids walk into the room or, or you walk in the room and who do they start talking to? They just start talking to you. When you're born, you learn to talk to your parents. And when you follow Jesus, when you are a Jesus follower, it's the same thing. You learn to talk to God. And I'll tell you what, you have a God who, who loves you, who cares about you, who, who knows you, and who's always there for you. Some of you didn't have that from your earthly father. You didn't have a dad who was present. You didn't have a dad who cared about you. You didn't have a dad who was there for you, who was committed to doing good in your life. And if you follow Jesus, you do now. If you follow Jesus, you do now. So continue steadfastly in prayer. It's, it's meeting with dad. That's what Paul is really driving at. That's his point. 
Second, second thing he mentions is, is be watchful. It says be prayerful, be watchful. Watchful is, is looking for opportunities. Think of, think of deer hunters. We just finished up gun season here in Kentucky. You know, think about John Suffin. What does he do? He sits and he waits in a tree for a deer to come by. A nice, you know, big, full rack, you know, big body. I mean, go look at, go look at his office. If you haven't been in there, he has some nice, some nice deer. John sits. He, he waits. He's waiting for that big opportunity. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says, continue being watchful. He says, look and see what God is doing. Look and see who God has placed in front of you. Look who's there to be loved, who's there to be served, who's there to be prayed for, who's there to be cared for. Because as God's people, we're on mission with Jesus, and there is always an opportunity for ministry. And you know what what can get in the way of that? It's this. If if I'm looking at this, I, I can't see you. Right now, I can't see that you're hurting. I can't see that you're confused. I can't, I can't see you when I am only looking at this. And this isn't sin, but it can be a real distraction. It can be a real disconnect from relationship. So I just encourage you, just think about how you're spending your time and how you're spending your time with, with people. Sometimes being watchful simply assumes that, that God has put people in front of me that he wants me to interact with, that he wants me to do life with. The third thing that we see in, in Paul's letter here is, is being thankful. He says, be prayerful, be watchful, be thankful. He says, continue with thanksgiving. All right, so let's just think about this for a second. Where is Paul writing this letter from? Prison. <laughs> How many of you would not be writing, I am so encouraged cards from prison. I would not. There's no, no way I'd be writing that. He's in jail. He, he literally writes, like, I am in chains. Like, he is chained to prison, and he is writing, I am so encouraged cards. Wow. I mean, what's he doing? He's writing about being thankful, about being encouraged. I mean, it's just, it's different. It's just different. Now, let's think about this for a second. Why is he doing that? How is he able, in the middle of his hardship, to write, be thankful, to teach people how to be thankful, to, be, to write encouraging cards? Well, here's what he's doing. Even though he is in a really difficult situation, he's being watchful. He's being watchful. He has people bringing reports to him about how their churches are doing, about how their people are doing. He's writing people, and they're writing back to him. And even though he is struggling, even though life uh, isn't overly great for him, He's getting these reports back and he sees what other people are doing and how they're growing and moving in their life. And because he's being watchful, watchful, that allows him to be thankful. How can you be thankful? How can you have gratitude in the middle of great hardship? It's being watchful. Looking at the people around you. Life is like train tracks. There's always good and there's bad. There's awesome and awful, concurrently, simultaneously. And what can sometimes happen is that the bad things in life get so domineering. They get so overbearing, so frightening. And what Paul is saying here is don't forget the other tracks. God's presence, God's provision, God's goodness, God's grace. Don't overlook that. The optimist, which is kind of where I'm inclined, I tend to only look at the good things. Ah, this was positive. That was awesome. And the pessimist tends to only look at the bad things. Ah, this isn't going well. That was a failure. And the reality is, as Jesus followers, we need to do both. We need to do both. Look at the good and at the bad. But we need to lean on the good side. Because that's, that's where our God is. He's good. He provides. He takes care of us. God is present. 
And what that does is it allows us to have an attitude of gratitude and a little bit of thankfulness. And we see that in Paul's life. That's how he's able to be thankful while he's in prison. And the fourth thing that he talks about is being relational. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. People you don't know, new people, people who don't know Jesus, people you don't have a relationship with yet. Make the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious towards people. Bring the love of Jesus with you. Bring the kindness of God with you. Bring the hope of God with you when you are having those conversations with people. Relational. Simply be a person who initiates. I don't, honestly, I don't care if you're more inclined towards being extroverted or introverted. It's about relating with people. It's about talking with people. If you are a Jesus follower, people matter to God. I mean, think about this. We worship Jesus. Where was Jesus? Jesus was up in heaven. And he came down to earth to pursue a relationship with us. And that gives us freedom to go across the room. That gives us freedom to go across the street and meet people. Say, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. We get to have that in our conversations and in our relationships. Life's not meant to be lived alone. That's something that we see more and more increasingly in our society. There's a lot of people that use people. And there's few people who love people. So he's talking about loving people as God loves us. He's talking about pursuing people as God pursues us. God loves people. He cares about people. And he wants to see us do the same. He wants us to as well. So at the end of this letter, the whole impetus, the whole thrust is love people, serve people, care about people, honor people, remember people. Paul gives this really long list of people. So I'm going to read it for you guys here, and then I'll quickly summarize it. And you're going to start hearing all of these names. Let me just preface this. You know, some of us in this room would be like, I don't know that name. I don't know that person. I don't know that experience. I'm just going to kind of tune out. Like, it doesn't really matter. But you know what? God values people who serve the church. God values people who serve people. He honors them. What Paul is doing here is setting in motion a culture of gratitude and of honor. And also these people, they are our brothers and sisters. We are going to meet them one day in heaven. We're going to know them. We're going to get to talk to them. This is our extended family who one day in the kingdom of God, we're going to walk up and meet and say, hey, name's John. Hey, I'm taking kids. Oh, I read about you in the Bible. How'd that stuff go? It's going to be so cool. So with that, let's jump into Colossians 4, 7 through 16. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful brother and a dear brother who is one of you. And they will tell you about everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoners, Aristarchus sends you his greetings as is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and you have received instructions about him. And if he comes to you, welcome him. Well, this is my favorite part. Jesus, who is called Justice. Now, let's just think about that for a second. Can you imagine being a kid who's born with the name Jesus? Like, people walk up to him on the street. Hey, what's your name? Oh, my name's Jesus. Jesus! We've heard about Guys, go get the bread and the fish. Do it! Do it! Here's the bread and the fish. Do the miracle. Like, feed this whole place. And you can just see the look on his face. It's like, no, I just, I'm not that guy. Just call me justice. Just call me justice. <laughs> I love that. I love that one. So Jesus, who is 
called Justice, sends, also sends his greetings. And these are the only Jews among my coworkers for the kingdom of God, and they have provided comfort to me. And Paphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will, all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends his greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, to Nympha, and the church that meets at her house. So from that passage, I think we can really get six, six things about people that, that really stand out about the character of the people who are doing ministry there that we can take and apply to ourselves as well here. First one is, is people that you can depend on. Tychicus, Epaphras. Now imagine that you're Paul in prison and you are writing letters and you just don't get a lot of shots at this. Like, it's not like you have staples just down the street that you can walk to. You have this huge supply room of paper and ink and pens and, and you have got to get this information out. These letters of encouragement out to other people. So who are you looking for to deliver this letter? The UPS guy. You need a guy with the brown suit and a big brown truck that you know is going to get it there. And who is that person for Paul? That's Tychicus. You know, some people have said that your greatest ability is your dependability. Sometimes you don't need to be the brightest or the smartest or the most organized. You need to be faithful and dependable to get it done. And how many of you here this morning, that's, that's you. You say, you, know, you can depend on me. I'm going to get the job done. I'll come in early and I'll stay late and we'll make sure it happens. If you're an employer in this room, you want those people, Right? True or false? Like, you want those people. Those people are amazing. You love those people that you can count on to get the job done. So let me summarize this point with this. You never really know how important the thing that you're doing is. Only God knows. Only God has the whole vision of how everything is going to play out. And it's our job, and it's our responsibility to be as dependable as we can be so that we are participating with God in what he intends to happen. Dependable people, super, super important. Uh, this next one is people who are transformed. Onesimus, he's mentioned about five times in the New Testament, and this story is truly one of the crazy stories that takes place in all of Scripture. So he's a slave, and as far as we can tell, he runs away from his master and steals a whole bunch of money from him. Wow. I mean, this is, it's, it's rough. I mean, our equivalent of that is, you know, you show up to work one day and you decide to steal a whole bunch of stuff and then just walk out. And the next thing that we know, the next thing that we see, he's in ministry. I mean, that's a pivot. That is a change. He's running away, running for his life. Booms. He runs into the preaching of the gospel and he realizes, oh, I'm a sinner. I got to follow Jesus now. My, my sins are forgiven. Jesus is my savior. He's my Lord. He loves me. I love him. And I'm a Jesus follower. Man, that's cool stuff. And he jumps in and he starts serving. Some of you who are here this morning, you don't feel like you can really serve Jesus. You don't feel like you can really do ministry because of your past. Look, Paul had a past. He murdered a deacon. He murdered someone in church leadership. Onesimus had a past. He's a runaway and a thief. And something changed in Paul and Onesimus when they met Jesus. They got a new identity, and as a result, they got a new life. 
You know, some of you struggle to commit to ministry because of the things that you've done. And, and as a result, maybe you feel like you aren't that useful to Jesus. Here's the truth. Out of our deepest pain, our deepest regrets, sometimes come our deepest ministry, our most impactful and powerful ministry. You've been there. You can relate to the people who have been there and done that. And you can warn people not to be there and do those things. Just because you have a past doesn't mean you can't be in ministry. The third thing we see is people who pick you up when you're down. This is Aristarchus. He mentions Aristarchus. And to me, this guy is a rock star. He is there doing life with Paul. I mean, let's just be honest here. Doing life with Paul, it's no vacation. Like, it is no easy road. I mean, we start looking at Paul's life. He, he's shipwrecked. He, he's beaten. Uh, he, you know, goes hungry for times. He's in prison. You know, he starts riots and gets beaten up at him. I mean, this is hard life. It's hard. And if you're looking at Paul saying, hey, you and me, man, we're rolling together. We're doing this. That is a good friend. That's a good friend. And that's our Aristarchus. When Paul's in jail, he's in jail. When Paul gets beaten in a riot, he's getting beaten up in a riot. When Paul is struggling, Aristarchus is there to pick him up. He's there to encourage them. He's there to lift him up. If you have a friend like that in your life, like Aristarchus, you are blessed. There are not many of those people in the world who can do that. Let me encourage you to be one of those people. Who is a person in your life right now who is struggling, who is hurting, who needs help, who needs someone to be there for them? Can you be that person? Can you step into their life and be an Aristarchus for them? The fourth thing that we see is, is people who have unique skills. Luke says Luke is a beloved physician. Now here's what you might not know. Luke, as far as we can tell, mentioned in, in, in scripture, isn't a pastor. He's not called pastor. He's not called apostle. He is a medical doctor. So what is a medical doctor doing in the New Testament? Well, a, a couple of things. One, he's a traveling companion of Paul as well. So when Paul gets beat up, who's showing up there with the first aid kit? Luke. And let's just think about this. I mean, Paul, of all people, needs somebody in the corner to be the cut guy, right? <laughs> get, that, get the bandages on, you know, get the bleeding stopped so Paul can get back on, on mission, talking about and preaching about Jesus. Luke doesn't have vocational ministry as a job. He's a doctor. And what's really interesting is he also writes the most of the New Testament. Now, in terms of books, there's, there's 27, and Paul writes 13. He's the most prolific in terms of, of book. But in terms of volume, the most amount that's written, that's Luke. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He didn't go to seminary. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a pastor. He's a medical doctor. You know what that means? He's like you. If you have a job, you are like Luke. And God uses him to write the New Testament and put Paul back together. You don't have to leave your job to serve the Lord. Your job is the place that the Lord has you there to serve. You know, God wants you to be like Luke. Do a great job where you're at, with your talents, your skills, and your abilities. Serve Jesus and to serve others with the love of Jesus as well. Now this fifth one, this one's a little more concerning. This one isn't quite as encouraging or as exciting. People who quit on Christ... All right, so there's this guy, and his name's Demas. He's, he, Demas. he's a part of a great church. He's under Paul's leadership. He's getting great teaching. He's getting good discipleship. 
You know, he's, he's doing fine. He is walking with the Lord and he's serving him. And then Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. How many of you have known someone like that? There's this couple and they love the Lord and they're serving. They're active in church. They're active in small group. You know, they send their, their son or their daughter to a, a Christian college. And then all of a sudden, whew, mushroom cloud. It just blows up. They stop reading their Bible. They stop going to church. They stop going to small group. And they stop serving. And you're not even sure if, if they believe that Jesus is real anymore. I mean, just what happened? Here's, here's the big thing. Your last day is your most important day. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Onesimus, it looks like he had kind of a bad start. But it looks like he's headed towards a good finish from what we can see. Demas has a really good start. But something happens and there's a pivot. And it looks like he's headed for a bad day, a bad finish. Demas serves as an opportunity for every single one of us in this room this morning to search our heart. To see really where we're at. What we really value. What we are really going for in life. Kind of sobering. Not a lot of fun. But something that is vital. Super important for us to do. And the last one is people who practice hospitality. Uh, this is most likely a, a woman that he's talking about. A nympha who, who practices hospitality. And he talks about the church that meets at her house. She opened her house to had people over. She's a woman who, who opened the doors of her home. And the next thing you know, she's got a church. People are in it and they're coming and they're growing in the Lord. And you need to know that this is still a magnificent ministry. Somebody who invites you into their home, what they're doing is they're inviting you into their life. They're saying, hey, you, come over. Hang out. You know, a lot of our relationships, our, our business, our, our professional, and that's not a bad thing at all in any way. But when you open your home, what you're really saying is, is, hey, this is how I live. Hey, come do life with me. I mean, these are, these are true friends. These are real deep relationships. And in a world that is becoming more and more personally disconnected, practicing hospitality is vital. So those are the six kinds of people that we see. And let me just say this. If someone was going to write a letter about you, if someone who knew about you was going to write a letter, what would they be writing? There's a mix of good and bad in here. And what would it be for your life? What would your reputation be based on this letter? If it's good, praise God. Awesome. Continue on in what you're doing. And if there's some things in there that would not be so good that you wouldn't really want said about you, me included. I'd encourage all of us to, to be humble and to make those course corrections. Make those course corrections. This, this is an opportunity for us to this morning to check our hearts and to see what's going on and to check our lives. And the last thing that we're going to look at in Colossians in our time together this morning is Colossians 4.17. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Okay. <laughs> it just feels a little awkward, doesn't it? Like, it just feels a little like, all right, like, that's not really kind of what we see in the other part of this. Tell Archippus to get it done. Apparently, the Lord had given him something to do. He'd given him a ministry. He'd given him someone to reach out to. He'd given him someone to, to encourage, to, to go apologize to. And, and Archippus is just sitting on the sidelines. He's going, yeah, I know that I should do that. 
I know that I should get it done, but, but he doesn't. Hey, just being honest, how many of you here this morning know what ministry the Lord has given to you? You know that the Lord is calling you and saying, hey, I want you to get involved in this ministry at church. I want you to get involved in this ministry in the community. Hey, I need you to go and talk to this person about me. Hey, I need you to go apologize for what happened and kind of own that. And you're going, eh, I'm not doing it. Up to this point, up to this point this morning. Hey, let's be honest. This morning you have an opportunity to fix it. You've got who loves you, who cares about you, who is on your side, who is fighting for you and is encouraging you to go do the ministry that he has called you to do. It's just a way of saying, hey, I love you. Go do it. Go get it done. Everyone here has a different part to play, has a different position in God's kingdom, on God's team. So don't covet what someone else is doing. Don't envy someone else. Don't, don't shut down and, and try to fill someone else's ministry. Do what God has called you to do. Do what God has given you to do in this life. I'm just going to take a second here and, and just talk about uh, the ministry that I'm involved in. Uh, something that I need help with to accomplish, to pull off. I can't do it by myself. I need you, whoever God is calling, to, to step up and fulfill that. We are at a place in time where we are seeing students graduate from their faith at an unprecedented rate, a rate that we have never seen in history before. Students who are coming to church or coming to youth group who are involved, and all of a sudden they get into college and they say, eh, no, not for me. Their faith never really became their own. Hey, I'm telling you right now, it's not some fun, easy, glamorous ministry. It's hard work. It takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of time. And I need your help in pulling it off. I can't do it one on 60, one on 80. I mean, this is a math problem. It's not going to work. I need you to step up and help me do that as well. So, hey, if that's something that interests you, something you want to talk more about, I'm tall, I'm easy to see, come find me. And let's talk about it. All right. So, in conclusion... Come on, there's no reaction to that? Like, really? Like, in conclusion? Like, I know, I know some of you guys are like, no. There's no way he's almost done. No way. Not happening. But it's true. In conclusion, Colossians is about, it's about four chapters. And the first two are deeply theological. Uh, they are, are very doctrinal. They're big concepts, big ideas. And, and how many of you are like that? You are big idea people. You love to read dead authors and to study. And you would say something like this. I was reading my book. And I didn't know that Sally was hurting. I had no idea. It just never, I never saw it. It never occurred to me. The second half of this book is all about relationships and people's names and people opening their homes and people caring for one another and people serving one another, people helping people. How many of you are my relational people? You love to go to Starbucks. You love to hang out. You love to talk to people. You love to invite people into your home. And you would say something like this. Well, I was reading my book, but... I saw that Sally was hurting, so I, I put my book down, and I went and gave her a big hug to help her and to comfort her, and then I went back to find my book, but it was, it was gone. I just couldn't find it anymore. I, I couldn't see it. It, was, it wasn't there. What we, see in, what we see in Colossians is both and. You need to be studying theology and reading, you know, and studying scripture and what the Bible says and what people, other people, very smart people, have to say about it so that you can love people really well, 
so that you can take care of them, so that you can help them, so that you can share wisdom and knowledge and truth. And if you find yourself more on this end, you're more the, the relational people. You love giving people hugs and taking care of them and meeting their needs. You need to be more on this end. You need to shift a little bit into that deep theology so you can give the truth that those people need so you can love them, so you can care about them the way that Jesus does, so you can meet their deepest needs. That's what I love about Colossians. It's not an either-or book. It's a both-and. We need you to be theological, and we need you to be relational. That's really what God has called us to. Jesus came down from heaven to earth to pursue a relationship with us. So we can go across the street, we can go across the room to love people and to help meet people's needs. Ministry is all about people. So I'd encourage you to get involved and work with people. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you uh, for your love and how you care about us. God, we thank you that you came down from heaven to earth to work with us, to pursue us, to love us, to take care of us. God, I pray you'd help us to do that same thing as well. Help us to love the people that you have placed in our lives. To your name we pray. Amen.